Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. We have been uh, speaking on comebacks, and this morning we're going to go ahead and get right into the word. And uh, we want to just welcome uh, all the family and friends of Rachel Guerrero that are here with us this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know Rachel, Rachel is a, uh, not just a family friend, she's family. Um, if it wasn't for her, uh, my wife and I wouldn't have gotten married as quickly as we did. Uh, I, I moved to Manteca, and uh, while I was in Manteca, her and her husband were the worship pastors at the church in Manteca. And I was dating my wife, and we had gotten engaged, and she says, hey, listen, why don't you move in with me and my husband, and... Uh, Rent-free, don't pay any rent, just save money so you and your, you know, your fiancé can get married quicker. And so I lived with her and her husband for about three months, and my wife and I got married. And uh, so we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. And so we just uh, really appreciate, <laughs> really love her. In fact, uh, your house was our first stop uh, on our honeymoon. Now, we didn't stop there for the honeymoon. We stopped there. To pick up some stuff on our way out for our honeymoon. And so, uh, <laughs> to make sure I clarify that. But um, we just, uh, we got nothing but love for, for Sister Rachel, who has been in our worship team. And you're going to hear her story in a moment. Today, we're going to fi finalize our messages on comebacks. And, uh, you know, for, for the past few weeks, as we've talked about comebacks, what we've done is we've shared a, a clip of a great sports comeback, and it just seemed a little inappropriate because the comeback we're going to share with you today, it's just kind of hard to bring a sports comeback and try to make it stand up to the comeback I'm going to share with you this morning. It, it just, it, there's just no sports comeback that can stand to the comeback we're going to share with you today. Uh, I, I want to talk to you this morning about the comeback king. Not LeBron James. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, in fact, this morning, we're going to share with you about the greatest comeback that there ever was. And, and his name's Jesus. And so in a moment, it's going to seem a little strange that here during the Christmas season, I'm going to be talking about the crucifixion. Uh, but I need you to understand something. You cannot talk about the cradle without talking about the cross. Because there, will be, there would be no cross if it wasn't for the cradle. Uh, the cradle came because of the cross. And that there would not be a cross if the cradle never came about. And so you can't separate Christmas from Easter. Uh, th those two things are, are, are melded together because if it wasn't for Christmas, Easter never would be about. And if it wasn't for Easter, there would be no need for Christmas. And so don't, don't get it twisted. Although we're heading into the Christmas season, Jesus wasn't born at Christmas. The man Jesus had his start at Christmas. But Jesus, the Son of God, had no beginning and will have no end. You see, my God's eternal. There was, was no beginning, and although we look at baby Jesus, uh, for, for me, the greatest miracle wasn't Lazarus coming back from the dead after four days. It, it wasn't Jesus walking on water. It wasn't him calming the storms. It wasn't him opening blinded eyes or deaf ears or even healing a leopard. To me, the greatest miracle of all, we celebrate every Christmas. The greatest miracle of all was when a baby somehow was able to contain the creator of the universe. Oh, you didn't catch that. You didn't catch that. How did flesh contain the Son of God? How was flesh able to contain the one that is uncontainable? How is flesh able to hold in the glory of that the, the, the glorious God, the one that spoke the word and all the world came to order? How, I'm surprised the flesh literally, literally didn't melt off that baby because of the glory that was inside of him. That's the greatest miracle, I believe. 
But I want to share with you this morning, if you would stand to your feet as we turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to build a case for you this morning, all right? For those of you that, that are there on Wednesday nights, uh, this is going to be a, a bit of review at the beginning because we, we kind of hammered some of this stuff out. We worked it out Wednesday night. But uh, we're going to share with, for those of you that don't come to church on Wednesdays. I'm just playing. No, no, really. Um, Genesis chapter, 27, or chapter 2, verse 7. It says, then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. Well, where did God get man from? God, God literally took time to form Adam. He didn't speak Adam into existence. He formed him. He didn't say let him be. He took time to form his head and his ears, his eyebrows and his eyes, a place for his mouth and his nose. And he took time to to. to to put his pecs together and make sure his biceps were the right size and in accordance with his tricep and, and built his quads and made sure that everything was in proportion. He took time to put everything together. Like Plato, God took time to go to art school and begin to craft out a man. But when he created man, notice this, it says he formed man from the dust of the ground and he, somebody say, Breathed. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. Where everything else God said, let there be, with Adam, he formed him and then shared his breath with him. Folks, I need you to understand you are not an accident. You are the result. You are the result of a purposeful God who took time to fashion, design. He told the prophet Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, I formed you, and I called you by name. There are no accidents when it comes to birth. I don't care what your mommy and daddy told you. And he breathed life into the man's nostrils, and man became a living person. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, I want you to notice something. In the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. He takes time to, to call out the earth. He takes time to bring water out. He takes time to bring out the plant life, the animal life, and to put everything together. And like a mom and dad preparing to have a child, he gets the nursery together for mankind. And when everything is ready, then God creates man. He forms him, breathes life into him. And I want you to recognize this. God didn't take man and go, God came right up to man. Came, you know what? If you were Adam, you'd be dead right now. God came right up to Adam, nose to nose, and he breathed life into Adam. He shared his breath with him. God got intimate with Adam. Do you understand that you are here as a result of a relationship and intimacy with God? God came face to face with man, and he gave him his breath, gave him his life. Breathe into him. And when God did that, I need you to understand, God created the world for man to dwell in. But God created man for him to dwell in. Let me say that again because some of you missed that. Mankind was... The earth was developed so that man could live on the earth. The, the, the depths of the Grand Canyon, the, the expanse of the sea, the heights of the mountain were all designed by God for you. God loved you so much, he gave you the best. But when God formed man, he placed man in, he created the earth, placed man on the earth, but he created man for him to dwell in. The same way this bottle was created to hold liquid, mankind was de developed to contain the presence of God. 
You, you were created to hold his presence. That's what you were created for. That's what you were fashioned for. The, the problem is this, is that when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden, the holy presence of God had to come out. Because God couldn't dwell in something unholy. And so the Holy Spirit was recalled. You know, when, a, when an automobile has a problem, Toyota has a few recalls recently. And when there's a problem, the automobile manufacturer will have a recall because something didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God recalled the Holy Spirit. And from then on in the New Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would fall on a person and then it would come off. Fall on a person and then come off. He would fall on a person and then come off. That, that's why Samson, they wondered where this guy got his great strength from. It wasn't because he was buffed. If he had been buffed, they'd know where his, where, where his power came from. But it was the spirit of God that would fall on him. He would do something and then it would come off of him. The presence of God was never in mankind in the Old Testament. Because man was sinful. It wasn't until God sent his son, Jesus. And when Jesus came to this world, he came and he was born according to the word in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the son of man came to seek, someone say seek, and to save those which were lost. See, I need you to understand, you didn't find God. I love when people give their testimonies and say, yeah, you know, I found God when I was about 22 years old after all my life of drugs. Listen, God wasn't lost. God wasn't the one that was lost. You didn't find God. God found you. And so I need you to understand something this morning. Jesus came for a purpose. He was born to die. Why? Because blood had to be shed in order for mankind to be made holy to where the presence of God can once again get back to where it was designed. You were created for the presence, but what ends up happening when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't just change dining choices. They literally changed kingdoms. And when they did so and changed kingdoms, all of a sudden... We started looking to fill ourselves with something else. You were designed for the presence of God, but instead now we fill ourselves with alcohol, with drugs, relationships, money, success. And we try to find things that we can contain and to bring peace to our heart. But we still feel empty. How do I know that? I, I, I've dealt with million-dollar athletes that still feel empty inside because they were created for the presence. And there's only a place that the presence can fill. There are things that you're going to search for and not be able to find because it's only through the presence. And I need you to understand, the book of Romans says this, that God showed his great love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That even when we didn't know who God was, he gave his life for you and I. Even when, see, we're, we're at the Christmas season right now. You know what I'm talking about. Husbands are being really nice to their wife because they want that new, uh, that new flat screen TV that has not, not 1080p, that has has that 4,000, that new TV that's coming out, super HD. And I, I got to be able to see the sweat on the sweat of the football player that I'm watching. And so I'm, I'm being nice so I can get that. Wives are being nice to their husband because they want a new rock. You got the kids being nice to mom and dad because what they're looking for is that if I do the right thing, I'll get something from you. But Jesus doesn't work that way. He says when you didn't even know him, when you didn't even care about him, when you didn't even know he exists, that God gave his life for you and I. You can't earn the love of God. Jesus comes to this earth for one reason, and that's to give his life. And what blows me away is this. Here's Christ, the same people that he opened their blinded eyes, opened their deaf ears, the same one that fed over 15,000 people in one sitting, the one that he put fish fillet sandwiches in each one of their mouths. The ones he fed are now yelling, crucify him. 
I can imagine him walking through the crowd and seeing people in the crowd, maybe even a leper that he had restored. Maybe even a lame person that he gave strength to walk. Maybe even the adulterous woman that he kept from being killed is now standing in the crowd with a new dude. But in the process of the beating and the ridicule that Jesus is going through, these Roman soldiers knew how to use the cat of nine tails so well that as they would hit the skin, the nails would hit, they would turn up and then pull out. These guys were so good at using the whip, the cat of nine tails, or what they also called the scorpion. They were so adept at using it that when an individual was done being beaten, you could literally see the organs inside their body. Most people didn't last past the scourging. Not only does Jesus go with 39 lashes, after he's beaten, they mock him. The very one he's trying to save, they're spitting on him, they're pulling his beard, they give him a crown of thorns with three-inch thorns. They don't lay it nicely on his head, but with rods they beat it into his skull. Scholars say that his head swelled three times the normal size. That if you wanted to take off the crown of thorns, there would be no way you could because his head swelled up around it. Beaten, mocked, ridiculed. Made to go through a gauntlet where they slide up Roman soldiers on one side and Roman soldiers on the next. And they made Jesus run through the middle in that condition. When with spears and the edge of their swords, they would beat him and kick him and abuse him until he got to the other side. During all this ridicule that he went through, they place a tree on his shoulders. And he's cursed to carry this tree down a narrow road through the streets, the Via de la Rosa. And as he's carrying this cross with splinters going into his, his hamburger-beaten neck and back, noonday sun beating upon him, sweating and flies flying around, people crowding in, yelling and spitting and throwing things at him, with every fall to the ground, with pebbles getting stuck in his knees. He finally gets to the place called the skull. Exhausted, he lays there, and just for a moment, he catches his breath as they stretch out his arms, and with nail spikes, they drive it at the base of his wrist. Flesh is burning, his sinew and tissues are being ripped apart, being nailed into this piece of wood, and as they pick him up, the flesh begins to tear. They drop the cross into the hole, and when it hits, it bounces a couple times as his whole body shakes and the flesh begins to rip. They even use ropes to tie his arms up to keep his hands from coming off of the nails that they put on him. And as he hangs there, the very people that condemned him to death are now yelling at him, come down from there and we'll believe you. If you come down, we'll believe everything that you said right now. My friend, I need you to understand. He could have called, the Bible says, 10,000 angels. He could have whispered in a moment, Father, I'm done. He could have said the same way as he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. See, the humanity of Christ didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to die, but the God in him said, this is what I came for. In fact, I submit this to you, that nails didn't keep Jesus on the cross. You did. Love did. He could have proved that he was God by coming off the cross, levitated in front of everyone. The glory of God shined through him in front of everyone, but he would have missed his purpose of saving humanity. But I don't believe, listen, 
I don't believe for a moment that the nails killed him. I don't believe the beating on his back killed him. I don't believe the crown of thorns was his demise. It's a moment as Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You see, at that moment, remember, Jesus' beginning didn't start when he was born. He's eternal. His humanity started when he was born. But he's an eternal God that has been part of the Trinity from the beginning. He has never been separated from his Father. But in this moment, hanging on the cross, the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin. He didn't take sin. He became sin. Oh, you ain't hearing me this morning. He became Jesus. Holiness became the most vile thing that you can imagine. He became the child molester. He became the murderer. He became the drug dealer. He became the addict. He became the wife beater. He became sin. And it was at that moment, the Bible says that God the Father turned his back on his son. You're not catching this. See, to you, the cross is just a little symbol we wear upon our neck. The cross was never meant to be a monument. It was meant to be a movement. Jesus hanging there. And it wasn't the the nails that killed him. But I believe the moment that his father turned his back on him, Jesus' heart explodes. His heart breaks. You talk about your kids breaking your heart, you don't know breaking a heart. Jesus has never been separate from his father before, folks. Jesus was with his father when he woke up in the morning. He was with his father when he went to bed at night. He was with his father when the storm was blowing. He was with his father when he called Lazarus out of the grave. He was with his father when he sat among all the temple doctors and lawyers. He was with his father when he fed the 5,000. He was with his father when his father said, let there be light. He was with his father through the whole time when the walls of Jericho fell. He was with his dad. But the one moment when his father turned his back on him, Jesus was separated from his father. And the man created to contain the presence of God no longer was connected to his father like Adam, and he died. Because Jesus was designed for the presence. You could try all you want to find things to fill you, but nothing else will fill you than what is in Christ. And with these three words, it is finished. Jesus cries. Gives up his ghost. Gives up his spirit. When Jesus said, it is finished. He wasn't saying, I'm finished. He was saying, everything you need for your personal victory... It's finished. He's saying your addiction is finished. Your sickness is finished. Your battle is finished. Your addiction, your your troubles are finished. Your depression is finished. He's telling you now, whatever you need for victory, it is finished. Somebody got to give praise to God in this house right now. You got to know whatever you need, it's finished. You don't need to battle anymore. It's finished. It's already been accomplished. It's finished. See, we we want want a comeback without a setback. We want a miracle without an impossibility. We want a victory without a battle. But you can't have a comeback until you have a setback. Can't have a resurrection without a death. 
Now, we all want to have breakthrough in our life, but we don't want to go through anything. We want to have a great story, but we don't want to go through no, no trouble. I need you to understand that every trouble you go through is so that God's glory can be revealed. In fact, day one goes by, and imagine how the disciples are feeling. Imagine how Jesus felt before he died. The disciples leave him. One denies him three times. One betrays him. The others abandon him. And you feel alone? He was hanging naked on a cross. There ain't no little loincloth there. We do that just to have honor for God, but he was, he was crucified naked. Open shame. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I would have called them angels a whole long time ago before we even got to that point. Y'all would have been in trouble. <laughs> Figure out your own salvation because I'm out of here. I am, not, uh -uh, I am not going through this. You know what? I like you, but I ain't going through this. Thank God I'm not God. Thank God you ain't God either. Don't judge me. Y'all would have been out of there as soon as they pulled out that whip. Oh, no, I'm out. I'm out. Angels. <laughs> but imagine how they felt. Day one goes by and he's in the grave. Day two goes by and they're sitting there thinking, where, where do we go from here? What do we do? But then something happens on day three. Something takes place on the third day. Something transformational happens. I don't know about you, but if there's one place I would have loved to have been on Easter morning was in the tomb. Not outside the tomb. I want to be in the tomb. I want to be looking at the dead body of Jesus in the darkness, in the cold dampness. And all of a sudden, the earth begins to shake. All of a sudden, a bright light begins to shine. And his eye twitches for the first time. His hand begins to move. And then glory shows up in that place. Romans chapter 8 says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, the dead dwells in, dwells, 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 come on somebody, dwells, not on you. It wasn't until he died and resurrected that all of a sudden the spirit no longer fell on us, but in us. You know, as great as the resurrection was, that's still not Jesus' greatest comeback. Let me fix myself. He has one more comeback left in him. Oh, you didn't hear me. So he has one more comeback left in him. The Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when the trump of God shall sound, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us that remain shall be caught up together with him in the air, and there we shall be with him forever. There's another comeback coming. There's another comeback on his way. Jesus is coming back someday. It ain't no fairy tale. He's coming back. Oh, come on, somebody give God praise this morning. One more comeback. And it wasn't nails that held him there the first time. It was you. And he's coming back again for you. Do you understand that hell was never created for man? How much did God love you? That even when you didn't know him, he chose to give his life for you. You, my friend, were created to carry the presence of God. 
God never wanted to dwell on people. He wanted to dwell in them. And yet we filled ourselves with so much other crap. Some of us are filled with crap. I better not go down that road. Come back. But you are created to carry the presence. There's no greater, no more valuable thing than carrying the presence of God. Don't sell yourself short by allowing yourself to be filled with jealousy, with anger, with bitterness. You are created for the presence. And if the presence of God dwells in me, greater is he that is in me than anything in the world. With that in mind, I want you to turn your attention to the screens and check out the most incredible comeback story of Rachel Guerrero. On May 22nd, I suffered a brain aneurysm and I almost lost my life. So I was at the gym and I was working out and I was told that I set my bar weights down, dropped my head and lie down on the floor. And there's when I had my aneurysm. I don't remember anything. All I remember is waking up in the hospital when I woke up in ICU, I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't realize what had happened until my family had explained everything. And I just felt like, I don't want to be in this room. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. I know the doctor had been in the room and had already told my family that I may not remember anything, that I may not know who they are. I remember my sister, she was in the room and I woke up. I just whispered to her, I looked at her and I said, sis. And she looked at me and I said, what's wrong with me? I had suffered a brain aneurysm and on a scale from one to five, five being the worst, meaning you don't make it. My aneurysm was a 4.5. Um, the ne neurologist came out and spoke with my family and he had told my parents that there was a good chance that I wasn't going to make it, that it was so severe. Um, and before he did the surgery, my mom asked if she can pray for the doctor before he did surgery on me and she held his hands and she prayed over his hands and she had said that God was gonna help him to do the surgery and direct him and so she prayed, and I survived. The evening that I had surgery, I had suffered a stroke. And when I woke up, I was unable to move my left side. Um, my leg wouldn't move, my hand, my fingers. I survived the aneurysm, and now I had to deal with the effects from the stroke. And I had to wonder, was I ever going to be able to walk again? Would my mobility be the way it was? So now my voice is completely gone. And the other thing that I love, if you know me, is singing. And I had just started playing guitar, and I couldn't move my, my left arm, my fingers. Was I going to be able to do any of those things again? A lot of my thoughts were, why did this happen? As bad as things were and as bad as things got, and it, it didn't even matter how hard it was for me, there was a point that I thought, I am not gonna stay this way. I am not gonna allow this to determine my future. And to stay the way I was, there was a fight in me, and it may have been from, from all the things that I had to go through in life. It wasn't always bad, but God saw me through so much. This, I knew that I would get through it. I would get up, I would walk. I would not stay in a wheelchair. I would not use a walker all my life. 
I'd throw my cane out someday and just walk and do the things that I was doing. And that was the fight in me that kept me going. It kept me strong. I realized that I was gonna make, I was gonna make it. This song, Extravagant, was the song I played at church 10 days before my aneurysm took place. And here I am, almost seven months later, and I'm playing it again. My memory came back. Doctors said that I'd be in the hospital probably for a year, maybe in a convalescent hospital or a physical therapy hospital for almost a year. And when I was sent from Redwood City to Vallejo Physical Therapy, the three to nine months or 12 months that I would have to be there, I was there for two weeks and I was released after two weeks. That fight in me came out. It doesn't end here. This isn't where I stop. I'm going to get better and I'm going to be where I really know I should be. I had had an appointment with my neurologist and when I did, he was so surprised to see me. My situation was so grave and he was happy to see that I was walking. Yes, with then it was a walker, now I have a cane and a brace. The neurologist had told me there must be a reason why I'm here, why I survived this, because I'm not even supposed to be here. My name is Rachel Guerrero, and this is my comeback. from Christian Worship Center. Before I start bawling, all I can say is thank you from the bottom of my heart for your consistent prayers and everything that you did. And um, I'm so thankful I have a voice to sing. It's not like it was, but it's here. And I'm here, and God is good. I mean, I, I'm blown away. I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'll just sing. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
I got the email from Sabrina. I had taken my pastors on vacation to uh, Mexico. And while we were there, we got the email saying, please call, something terrible has happened to my Auntie Rachel. I just remember this feeling I felt deep in the pit of my stomach because we've known each other a lot of years. And I've seen you. We if we didn't do the story on the aneurysm or the stroke, we could have done one on other things you've gone through and how you've battled through those things. And I just remember thinking, there's just no way that this is going to end this way. And I, I, I couldn't call, so I got on Facebook, got a hold of Pastor Anthony and uh, Reverend Cat, and they went right over to the hospital. Them, along with so many other people that were at the hospital, just praying. Uh, how did you feel when you woke up at the hospital? Kind of, what, what, what was going through your mind? Um, when I woke up, you know, a lot of, of what happened is I didn't know. I, I, I didn't understand what was wrong with me. I knew something was wrong, and my sisters were there, and my mom and dad and family would come and I just it was weird it was as if I didn't quite understand yet what was going on with me it took a minute for me to really to realize you know why I was there you know what blew me away is when we landed we went straight to the hospital to see you and we got there you were you were lucid you're awake and you were hecka funny you never lost your sense of humor and she, the one thing you wanted more than anything else was your cell phone. Why did you want your cell phone so badly? Probably because I'm a cell phone freak. Because it was a way of keeping contact, you know, with everybody. It was a way of not being alone. Um, you know, when, when you're in the hospital and your family leaves... You're by yourself. That's the bottom line. And even when I was so out of it, I mean, I, I don't really know how long I didn't wake up, but I know I was in Redwood City for almost three months 
ICU, and I just wanted to connect. I didn't want to feel by myself. And Do you understand that you were texting people that made no sense? <laughs> I read some of my Facebook messages, and I was like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. I had an aneurysm, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, we haven't had aneurysms, and we still can't spell. Yes, I know, I was really messed up. I tell you what, just, uh, I remember when we got back, I, I, I got a call from one of my pastor friends, a good friend of ours, and he said, it doesn't look good, it doesn't look like she's going to make it, she, she just doesn't look good. And I remember that angered my spirit, because I was like, there's just no way this is ending this way, no way. And I knew you're a fighter, you don't take kickboxing and work out and all the things that you do without being a fighter and then having your dad who's a huge boxing fan as well um, so many people prayed for you so many people believe God for you but even more than that you believe God for you I, wa I want to just before we close you know um, doctors said I want to just you, to you, for you to elaborate because you were supposed to be and I heard the doctor say this uh, at one of our visits, that you were supposed to be at the rehab center or convalescent home yes. for uh, nine to 12 months. Yes. How long were you in rehab? I was in Vallejo rehab for two weeks and I got discharged. <laughs> <laughs> we got there during one of your, one of your workout sessions. Right. And girl, you were working it. You were just picking your leg up, and they were telling you, you know, like, and she was like, okay, that's enough. You're like, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And you were just pushing it. You were just, and I told Ange, look at this girl. She's not going to be here long. And I couldn't believe that you were released so quickly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed. And on behalf of CWC, Rachel, we love you. So proud of you. And what would you say to everyone here that maybe, I mean, it doesn't seem fair to survive an aneurysm and then have a stroke. It sucks to have an aneurysm. Then to have a stroke that puts you in a condition where you couldn't sing, couldn't play. But look at you, I know you're not all the way back yet, but I know you will be. I know you will. What do you say to those right now that are sitting here thinking that their addiction's too much, their sickness too, is too much, their financial condition, their troubles, their trials, their situation? What would you tell them right now? All I can tell you is that you got to fight in you. You have to be determined and you have to realize that you're not doing this by yourself. If you give up those things that are holding you down and allow God to take control, you're on the right track. It could have been so easy for me and trust me, I laid in that bed so upset. I wanted to escape the hospital, so mad. I didn't want to be there. I was like bald, no hair, medication, couldn't move. I, I couldn't give up. There was something in my spirit that was telling me, you know what? It doesn't have to end here. Your life doesn't have to be where it is. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be miserable. Come on. You don't have to hate people because you got a divorce or you can't stand the guy or the woman or your parents or your brother or sister. There's a fight between you. You have to know that you have, if you have any strength in you, then that's a fight. Keep fighting and give up. Don't be so proud to say, I don't need God's help. I could do this on my own. Yes, you do. Because if you're still where you're at, then obviously something's wrong. Preach it, girl. Preach it. <laughs> There's a fight, and all I could say is just allow God. You know, if you've tried everything else, if you've tried every drug and alcohol and a life that isn't so cool, isn't so good, and you think you're so great, but you're miserable, you know what? Why don't you try surrendering your life to God first? What do you have to lose, okay? Really, do you think that it's not going to go good? Look at me. I had a fight within me. I had to have it. I was not going to give up. I had to be determined. You have to be determined to have a better life. And there is one person in this room I have to thank. Aside from my family and my mom and dad is my instructor, Rachel. 
You called 911. You, you called my family. And I know it messed you up. For a few Wednesdays, you, you didn't want to teach the class anymore. But this woman, we had a conversation before everything happened. And she's here. Thank you. Thank you, Would Rachel. Would you stand up? Just wave your hand. Let everyone see who you are. <laughs> she's embarrassed. And so if they want a good body pump, they can go to her If class. you want to do a body pump class on Wednesday nights, <laughs> 6 o'clock <laughs> in Pleasanton. <laughs> this woman can teach. Oh, <laughs> She's Lord. great. Would you bow your heads right where you are at this time? Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.